This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Someone start to clap. That's going to clap, man. That was fantastic. I love our time together. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited to share some time with you today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I'm going to guide us through our time together today. And uh, I just want to say I might be sitting a little more just because I'm getting over a cold. So my voice is kind of going up and down. My energy level is kind of, you know what that's like. And right now, whoever hugged me before service is thinking like, ugh, but don't worry. I, I'm, I'm only a little contagious. But you know what? You guys do that to me all year long. So let's just pay back. Like I hug hundreds of you every Sunday. We're going to make it. But I just want to warn you, like sometime today, I might sound like Barry White and then I'm going to get excited. I might sound like Barry Gibbs. So you just got to like, let, those of you who aren't a product of the seventies have no idea who Barry Gibb is. And that's okay. Just know that I'm sick, but I'm staying alive. I'm staying alive. So you don't need to worry about me. I'm staying alive. Uh, hey, I just want to welcome you to our church. We're going to have a great time together today. Uh, we're doing something a little different than we normally do. We're actually starting our time together uh, by receiving the offering. And so if you came prepared to give, you can go ahead and get your tithes and offerings ready. Uh, there's an envelope inside your program. You can use that, or there are ways to give on the screen. You can text to give. You can give online. Uh, we're doing that because I want to get that out of the way before we talk about something that is, is so potentially freeing for us. But if we're holding on to this thought like, oh, they're going for something at the end, then we're going to miss out on this thing that God wants for us. So go ahead and get your tithes and offerings ready. Um, While you're doing that, I want to draw your attention to these cards that say start here. Normally we turn these in at the end of our time together as well, but we're going to be turning this in in just a second. And this is just a connection card. It helps us stay connected to you, helps you stay connected to us. And uh, we'd love it if you just put your name And maybe your contact info if you're a guest with us today. And we won't abuse that information. We just want to partner with you in any way that we can. Specifically, if you have something you'd like us to pray for you about this week, our pastoral team and our prayer team would love to be praying for you. You can write that down. If you want to plug into a ministry, you can do that. And I want to highlight one other thing as some of you are getting your offering ready. Um, Next week, a week from today, we've got our town hall gathering. We do these two, three, four times a year uh, where we just try to get some face time together. Uh, I want to share kind of with a small group of us, whoever comes, some things that I'm excited about for this fall. Some of our pastoral team will share some things that they're working on in their various ministries. It gives you an opportunity to have some face time with me so we can just share a moment together. You can ask any questions you have and we can just chat because my, my deep desire is that as we continue to grow in our influence in these cities that we love so much, that we never lose the reality that we're actually on a journey together, that there is no plexiglass wall between us. I can see you, you can see me, and I love to be together with you. So that's coming up. It's going to be 6.30, one week from today. Uh, if you have kids, we're going to have childcare available, but we need to know how to prepare. So on the bottom, if you're coming to that town hall meeting, would you just say uh, town hall meeting RSVP? Yes, because you are RSVPing. Yes, and then we'll know you're coming. And then if you have kids, just put their ages so that, or their, their number of kids you have in these age ranges so we can partner with you in that way. Uh, In just a second, we'll pass those baskets. But um, today, among other things, is September the 11th. And um, and for many of us, it's a day and we could could tell you exactly where we were on September 11th, 2001. And uh, it's just a day that is marked in our hearts and in our memories uh, as, for many of us, a day of two things. One, uh, a day of grief and mourning as a country, but then also a time of healing where we, we asked God, to really do healing in a way that only God can. Not just healing from deep personal pain, but also healing 
across national boundaries and national borders, uh, healing of our country, healing of our world. And uh, that prayer is the same today that it was then. And so I'd like to spend a moment um, in prayer, asking God to continue to work uh, in not only our country, but in our world, especially as he heals the hearts of people who this day tears open a wound uh, every year. So would you join me as we pray, and then we'll pass those baskets. God, it seems fitting that we'd start this time with a moment of silence. Lord, we remember pain and hurt, cries and tears from September 11th, and our social consciousness was shaken on that day. We ask God, even these many years later, that you would continue to bring healing healing for uh, the women and men and children who this day tears open a wound every year, healing for them of loss of loved ones. God, we ask that you would continue to bring healing for our country, even as uh, racial tensions continue to build, Lord, as we, we continue to process that as a community of faith this fall. But we ask now for healing. We do ask for a healing across national borders that only you can do, because you are the one who does great healing, starting with the individual, moving to the family, the community, and globally. So Lord, we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to ask you guys to do something for me today. Like I said, I'm feeling a little bit tired, but I'm going to, just being sick, I'm going to give everything to you today, but I got to get something back from you, okay? You got to help me out, okay? They say that like, all right, that's what I'm talking about. Here's the thing, I'm going to need some some amen and some all right, some laughing, some clapping. They say that that's like, that's like fuel for a preacher. And uh, if, if not only for me, I know you want to get home and watch football. So you don't want me to draw this out. And if I got no fuel, we're going to be here for a while. So you got to get me going a little bit today, church. Can you help me out with that? Can you help me out with that today? All right. Hey, anybody excited? Anybody excited to watch football today? Yeah. Like two of you? Seriously? Um, uh, I, I know we're all excited to watch the Bears. That's what I'm really. Yes, I see you back there, 54 baby Urlacher. I uh, love. Okay, that, we're having a moment. None of you guys understand unless you're a Chicago Bears fan like we are. But it is a good moment for us because the season hasn't started. That's why we can have this moment in a couple of weeks. We aren't going to have that moment anymore. Um, hey, I'm so glad you're here. If you missed last week, we launched a brand new series. Last week was like the beginning of a journey towards Everest. It was like our march towards, uh, from the bottom up. This week we're going to hit base camp. Next week we're going to summit together as we wrap up our series. But I'm telling you, you're going to want to get the whole series. If you missed last week, you missed the foundation for where we're going. You didn't get your gear ready. Um, you're here this week, but if you miss next week, you're going to miss the summit. This is where it all wraps together. So I want to invite you, hop on the website and listen to last week if you missed it. And then also make sure you're here next week as we continue to dive in. But we're in a three-week series called Crazy Like Us, uh, where I'm inviting us to learn something something, and here's the trick. I'm inviting us to learn something that the majority of us are pretty darn sure we already know. And that's tricky, to try to teach someone something that they are pretty sure they already know, because 
We already have our preconceived notions or ideas about this thing. The problem is, when you look nationally at statistics, we realize we don't, as a country, as a society, and even as a church, know this skill yet. And so I'm going to try to teach it to us, and I've asked you to take every ounce of humility and learning in the process so that we can actually learn this thing together. And here's what we're talking about. I'm going to try to teach us how to be generous, how to be generous. Not how to give to a cause, because we can all give to a cause. Sometimes we do that because we're inspired. Sometimes we do that because uh, we feel guilty. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a lifestyle oriented towards generosity. And I'm not talking about the practicals of budgeting. Listen, you're an incredibly smart group of people. I mean, you're at New Life, after all. So I know you're smart. You can learn how to budget if you wanted to. And we actually have tools for you. If you emailed our finance pastor, Justin, he could give you tools about how to set a budget. I'm talking about being generous, specifically financially generous. And I had a friend ask me this week, well, why are you focusing on finances? Like this topic of generosity, this could really hit on anything. Generous with our time, generous with our uh, gifts and talents and abilities. Why are you talking specifically about money? And here's why we're talking about money. Because Jesus he makes this bold claim. He says, where our treasure is, where our money is, our hearts naturally follow. So our lives are oriented around the things where our money are oriented. And you know that if you've, if you've ever had kids, because the minute you find out you're pregnant, your money begins to go in a certain direction, right? Diapers in a baby room. And then for the next 18 to 22 years, depending if you're paying for college, your money, a large chunk of it goes there. And what follows? Well, your heart follows your kids and our time follows our kids. I'm coaching my daughter's soccer team right now. And I was losing my voice this week. And I'm so thankful we have a youth pastor because he had two megaphones. Like, so I took it to the soccer game and I coached like, Check up on aisle six. Like, that's how I was coaching. I was that guy with a megaphone at the soccer game because my time goes towards my kids. Why? It all started with our money. Where our treasure is, our hearts follow. So our working theory is this. If we can become generous with our finances, then we'll become more generous with our time and we'll become more generous with our gifts and abilities and talents. But it all comes around to this thing that Jesus says, where your treasure is, everything else tends to orient in that direction. And so I laid out last week a a definition for generosity that we're working with in this series. And I warned you, it's clunky, but it's specific for a reason. And here's our definition. Generosity is the premeditated, which means you've got a plan. It's not based on emotion. It's It's not based on feeling or guilt or ought. We already know we've got a plan. Premeditated, calculated. We already know an amount before the month starts, before the year starts. We know We know the amounts. Designated. We know where it's going. We're not caught off guard. Emancipation. And this is fun. This means you get to free it. The emancipation of personal finances. So the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal finances. That's what we're trying to learn how to do in terms of being generous. And there were two promises we talked about last week. The first is this. Generous people tend to give more save more, and consume less. And we're going to talk about how that's possible today in our orientation towards money. But generous people, and it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it's true statistically speaking, and this is inside the church or outside of the church, generous people give more while at the same time saving more and spending less. And then here's the second crazy promise, and it comes directly from Jesus. He says that we'll actually be happier if we orient our lives 
around financial generosity. He said it something like this, and we dove into it last week, so I'll give you the flyby. He says, it's more blessed to give. And that phrase, to give, is a lifestyle oriented towards giving than it is to receive. And blessed, loosely translated, but, but, but an accurate translation would be this, supremely happy or deeply contented. He said, you'll be supremely happy if you have a lifestyle, and we know this is true, that's oriented around others rather than around taking. We all know that, right? That we're actually happier when our lives are oriented around giving to those we love as opposed to always taking, taking, taking. So that's the promise of Jesus. And today what I want to do is I want to do my best to deconstruct the American dream when it comes to finances because I believe Jesus has a better dream for us. And so we're going we're gonna to take down a certain paradigm that is so common that we just fall into it. It's like water flowing down a mountain. It's natural. You just get into that stream and you just flow. And instead, we're going to build up a better dream, which is like water trying to go up a mountain. But I'm telling you, up this mountain, Jesus says, is freedom and joy and peace around money. And here's the standard American assumption or dream when it comes to money. It's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That's what we generally think when it comes to money. It's mine. It's in my bank account. Once I've got it, it's mine to do with what I please. And our dream goes something like this. Someday, I hope to have enough money that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want, and I don't have to depend on anybody else. I can be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. I'll have enough resource to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want. And if I can get there, then I'll be content. The problem with that dream is that very few of us ever actually get there. It's like a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. We think if I could just get here, then I'd be happy. But the closer we get to there, the more the rainbow tends to move out. And we chase and chase and chase until our very last day. And a few of us get there, but we're going to see in one of Jesus' teachings that even if you get there, it's not all it's cracked up to be. But the first problem is very few of us actually get there. And the second problem is we spend all our lives trying to get there without ever feeling any sort of peace around our finances. Why? Because we have a certain assumption about money that Jesus says is faulty. And it's the assumption that it's all for my consumption. As we jump into this today, I want to do another thought experiment. I want you to think for just a moment a word or a phrase or a feeling that comes up when you hear the word money? Like, what comes to your mind? Or personal assets. What's the word or phrase or feeling that comes to your mind? Just think about that. You don't need to shout it out. Just, just think about it. If you're like most Americans, words like anxiety come up when we think about money. Or fear. Or words like worry. Or if you're like many of us, maybe it's the phrase, not enough. I just don't have enough. When you talk about money, the first thing I think is, I don't have enough of it. And in response to those feelings of worry, anxiety, fear, not enough, here's what the average American does. We spend everything we've got, and then beyond that, in order to feel secure, because we feel so insecure when it comes to money. So we get into crazy debt, 
And then we're left really with something to worry about. Because if we spend beyond what we've got and we get into crazy debt, that just continues to compound. And the Bible actually says that we have to borrow money and a borrower is a slave to a lender. And I've said this to you over and over again. Credit card companies don't even try to hide it. Listen to the title of the credit card company. MasterCard. 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 And none of us is excited when we see our MasterCard bill. Why? Because we feel like we're a slave to the lender because we've taken everything we have and spent beyond that. And now we do have something to worry about. But it comes from an assumption that it's all for my consumption, that everything I have is for me to be spent by me to make me feel more comfortable. I want to ask you a question. How much money would you need to have to feel content or to feel safe or to feel like you don't have to worry about it anymore? Would you say it's 10% more than what you currently make? 15% more than what you currently make? I would say no. And here's why. Because you're currently making 10 to 15% more than you were making when you started out in life. And we still don't feel content. And we look at people who make 15, 20, 30% more than us, and we think, well, they should surely feel content. Look how much they're making. But if we actually got to know them and have a conversation, we realize that they have worry and stress and anxiety around money as well. Because when it comes to money and worry, it's not ultimately a money problem. It's ultimately a spiritual problem. There's a spiritual thing happening around money that leaves us feeling worried and anxious. When it comes to consumption and over-consuming beyond what we actually have the capacity to do, it's not a consumption problem. It's ultimately a spiritual problem with physical ramifications. And that's why Jesus comes in. And this was 2,000 years ago. And by the way, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, I just want to welcome you. This place was created for you, a safe place to come and explore the realities of faith and see what God says about God's self and about life and about community. But Jesus came in some 2,000 years ago before there was an America to have an American dream. And he does a great job of deconstructing the American dream. He points to the problem, and then he gives a solution. And while we're all going to agree with the problem— We might wonder, well, how's the solution going to work? But could I just suggest that if he nailed the problem 2,000 plus years ago, maybe his solution was right too. Because Jesus comes into this thing and he says, listen, we think money is about money, but money is not ultimately about money. We have this assumption that it's all for our consumption and that gives us starting from the wrong place and it's going to lead us down the wrong path. And so he tells this parable and a parable is a made up story with a main point. He's going to tell this parable, this made-up story with a main point to talk about the purpose of money. And while we sit in church, it's going to make a ton of sense. But the minute we walk out these doors, it's going to be so counter to everything we've known of the American dream that it's going to cause us to, to actively choose to think differently this week. And here's how he starts off this story. He says, I need you to know something before I even talk to you about your money. And this is what he says. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? He's trying to set up a contrasting thing. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? So they're not worth very much. He says, but not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one sparrow. God actually knows every sparrow. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. 
you are worth more than many sparrows. So Jesus is about to talk about money. He says, but before I talk about money, I need you to know something. You're not alone. God's not some distant deity who set the world in motion and said, good luck. You got to figure it out on your own. Do the best you can until you die. And then we'll meet up again. God left heaven and came to earth to live among us in Jesus. And then when he left, he left his spirit with us. And he says, I'm like a personal, powerful, all engaged heavenly father who sees you and knows you. And then he uses a word picture, which to some of us is like, wow, that's amazing. For others of us, not so much. He says, I even know the number of hairs on your head, which for some of you, it's like, that's a lot. That took Jesus a lot of time. For others, that's not such a big deal. And that's okay. That's okay. Because Yeah, I'm with you guys. Don't even worry about it. I see some shiny heads shaking like this. I'm with you, man. I'm going in the same direction. Listen, the truth is the same though. God knows you intimately. He sees you. He cares about you. If he cares about a sparrow, doesn't forget even one sparrow, and you're worth infinitely more than sparrows, then Jesus says God is going to take care of you. And everything he now says about money is in light of that reality. So then he goes on to tell this parable. He says, but as I tell it, don't forget, God sees you and knows you and loves you and wants to meet your needs. Then he goes on to tell this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And the rich man thought to himself, what am I going to do? I got so much money. He says, what am I going to do? I've got so much harvest, I don't even have a place to store it. That's how much I have. Then he said to himself, well, this is what I'll do. It's like he had a light bulb moment. I'm going to tear down my barns because they're not big enough to hold all my grain. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And there I'm going to store my surplus of grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. See, this guy does exactly what he'd always done because he thinks exactly what he'd always thought, which is, I assume it's all mine to consume. And he had this great harvest. He finally arrived. He finally got to that magical number. He achieved what very few of us actually will. He actually got to the pot of gold. And now he's got the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And he says, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I know. I know. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to put all my grain in the barns. And then, and then I'm going to hit easy street. Then I don't have to work another day in my life unless I want to. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to watch the Bears win the Super Bowl. You know it's a long time from now. (laughs) 85, 85 was a good year. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink. I'm just going to be merry. It's like Christmas every day for this guy. Have you ever thought to yourself when it comes to your finances, if I could just make this amount of money, and you fill in the blank, whatever you want, 100000 a year, 150000 a year, 200000 a year, 70000 a year, 50000 a year, whatever your number is, then I will have arrived. You ever thought that? If you ever thought to yourself, when I reach and you fill in that position, your dream position, your dream job, then I will have arrived. Have you ever thought to yourself, when I get, and you can fill in whatever security looks like for you, then I will have arrived. Then I can eat and drink and take it easy and be merry because I will have arrived. 
We think that all the time. The problem is most of us never do. And so we spend our life working towards something that we never ultimately achieve. Because once we get there, the marker gets even further out. But this guy actually got there. He got the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. He had arrived. So he builds up these big barns. He gets all his grain in it. And with a parable, there's always a twist. And this is where the twist comes in. God actually came to this guy, Jesus says in the story. But God came to him and said, you fool. He says, you're not a fool because you're rich. You're a fool because you're confused. You are foolish. You're believing something that's not true. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get everything that you prepared for yourself. You're a fool because you spent your whole life trying to accumulate, and now you've accumulated. You've got plenty of stuff, but you don't have plenty of time. And can we be honest? None of us knows how much time we have, do we? I pray for you. I genuinely do that you have a long time on this earth, but none of us knows when that day comes. And Jesus says to this guy, you've spent your whole life under the assumption that it's all for your consumption. And you finally arrived. You got enough stuff. The problem is you're out of time. And then Jesus asks him a probing question. He says, and who's going to get everything you prepared for yourself? And the answer, someone else. Someone else. But not because you were generous. Because you're dead. Okay? Just let that sink in for a second. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you don't get to keep it in any sort of lasting way, it's not ultimately yours anyway. Think about that. He says to this guy, you've got all this stuff, but now you're dead. Who gets your stuff? Somebody else gets your stuff. Somebody else gets it. You don't get to take it with you. Right? The guy who dies with the most toys still dies. You're dead. Jesus teaches us this, that... If we can't take our money with us, it's not really our money. Now that fights against the American dream that says it's all mine, I own it, and it's mine to consume. Jesus says, no, not in any lasting way. Yeah, you may hold on to that money for 30, 40, 50 years, you may. But ultimately, it's going to somebody else. It's going to get redistributed. At the very best, you are a manager of resources for a period of time. Could be 20 years, could be 30 years, could be 50 years. But someday, you're going to be dead, and that money's going to go to someone else. And so it wasn't ever actually yours because you can't keep it forever. And this is how generous people think. Generous people don't assume that it's all mine to consume. Generous people live every day viewing all of their resources as simply something to be managed, not something to be owned. And that's a major paradigm shift from the American dream that assumes that once I get it, once it's in my bank account, I own it. Generous people assume that it's all from God, that it flows to us for a season, and that our main responsibility is to manage it. Just to manage it. To ask God. And imagine if you did this. If you took all your resources and you laid them out with your spouse or with your kids or with your housemates, and you said, okay, this is all the money we have. These are all of our assets, our car, our house, our money. We believe that it all came from God. 
We lay it all out. We say, okay, God, you've invited me to manage this set of resources for a season. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. But ultimately, it's yours. So God, would you show me how much to set aside in savings of this resource? How do I manage it wisely to save? Because we all know that rainy days, while we don't know when it's going to rain, we know that it will rain eventually. Unless you grew up in Southern California, and then you go a long time. So God, how much do you want me to save? And then God, how much do you want me to spend on my kids, on our recreational activities, on our, on our fun stuff in life? And then God, it's all yours. How much do you want me to give away? Give away to the church. Give away to a cause that's close to your heart. Give away to a cause that breaks my heart. I was just talking with a woman who started coming to our church recently before the first service, and she said that she works for a nonprofit that helps get battered women out of abusive relationships. I love that. And she said that she actually does fundraising for this nonprofit, and she took part of last week's message, and she used it. I said, praise God, that's awesome. I love that. But God, how much do you want me to give of your resources to causes closest to your heart? I want us to consider doing an experiment this week. And I, again, I don't want us to do anything because my concern would be that if we went out and did something right now, if we gave somewhere right now, it would be either because I convinced you or, you know, you looked at the Bible. It's like, well, that seems to make sense, but we just did it as a snap thing. Or you felt guilty. Neither of those leads to freedom. And what I want for our church is what Jesus wants for our church, which is freedom around finances. So I just want to give you a thought experiment this week. What if you went away this week? And you talked with your spouse, and you just thought about every asset I have. What if you viewed every asset as a manager rather than an owner? And then just asked, how would that change that asset? If you viewed your, your house as a manager, not an owner, how would that change the way you dealt with your house? If you viewed your CDs as a manager, not an owner. If you viewed your car as a manager, not an owner. I am. Um, thankfully, I met a woman just this past Monday who viewed her car as a manager, not an owner. And I got a few minutes, so I'm just going to confess to you my process this week. It was Monday, and I was helping my friend's mom had a 75th birthday party. And I love this dear, sweet lady. So I went to her birthday party, uh, and uh, it was so fun. I was like the youngest person other than my kids by like 50 years. I mean, it was fantastic. Like, I was feeling very young and virile. Anyway, <laughs> And my buddy says to me, hey, can you help park cars? There's going to be a lot of cars there. The, the general age is in their 70s or 80s. And without getting any sort of whatever, it's a small spot. Could you valet park cars for these, these lovely ladies who are coming over for the party? I said, I would love to valet park cars. So I get there early on Monday and I start with valet parking my friend Betty's car. She's in her, her 80s. She's part of new life. She gets out. I park her car and I just nailed it. It was perfect, man. Right into the spot, smooth like butter. I felt so good about myself. So I'm on cloud nine, valet parking cars, because I used to do this for a job. I used to valet park cars like for a living before I became a pastor. It was a big step up when I became a pastor. And this other gal shows up, and there are these three more seasoned-in-life women in this minivan, but it was like a banging minivan. It had, like, push to start. It had the big camera screens for backup. I was waiting for the airbags to start going. This was a nice minivan. I mean, nice. So these three ladies get there, and I, they're from a church called St. John's Anglican Church in town. So we're talking, and I said, well, I'm, I'm the pastor over at New Life, so I promise I'd like to valet park your car, but I won't steal it. You know, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, sweetie, that is so kind. They get out there hugging me, doing, you know, some of this, and 
and I get into this lady's car, and I'm going to back it into a spot by a trailer. And so I get in, and, and there's this camera that can see everything on the screen. I've never owned a car like this. This is fantastic. I mean, this minivan was nice. And there's this huge screen, so I'm backing up looking at the screen, and I'm not used to this. I, help me out. Does anybody else, you remember this? Like, we used to do this when we had to back cars up. We used to lean back, you know? So I'm like, okay, I'm trying to trust the screen. The, the trailer's behind me, so I'm backing up. And then as I'm backing up, I'm thinking, but there's no camera on the side, and I know there's a fence right here. And so just for a second, just for a second, I look to make sure I'm not going to hit the fence. And as I'm looking to make sure I'm not going to hit the fence, bam, the car stops. The problem is my foot was not on the brake. I took that minivan, and it was a nice minivan, and I rammed it right into the trailer hitch of the trailer behind me. And if you've owned a trailer, yeah, if you've owned a trailer hitch, you know it's got that ball, and then there's this, like, metal, like, tool of Satan that comes out from it, like this metal, like, thing that comes out from it. And I rammed her minivan, and it went through the bumper, not to the bumper, through the bumper, this, bam, right into it. And I'm like, oh no, but I didn't, I didn't cuss, which was a good, like, internal thing for me. Like, hey, that's pretty good. Like, Jesus says the mouth is an overflow of the heart. My heart just went, oh no. But 20 years ago, my heart would have said, oh, something else. So I'm thinking to myself, I have to go tell this lady. So I come around the corner to tell her, and she's bragging to her friends about how nice I am, valet parking her car. Now we've got a whole group of seasoned women standing in a circle, the young pastor from New Life. And I said to her, well, don't, don't thank me yet. Uh, and I tried to smile to soften the blow. And I say, I, I accidentally bumped, <laughs> bumped your car into a trailer. And she thinks I'm joking. So she laughs and says, ha ha, takes the keys back. And I have to say again, no, I really did, and there's a dent, and she still doesn't, I'm like, you probably ought to come look, and I said to her, I'd be happy to pay for it, which what I mean was I feel obligated to pay for it, but that's what Christians say, like, I'd be happy to pay for it, right? In theory, I would be happy to pay for it, just that's not how I want to spend my money. So we get to the, we get to the car, and she looks at it, and it's a, it's bad, it's bad. She's very gracious and kind. I love St. John's Anglican Church, good people there, and, uh, (laughs) Their pastor teaches them grace and forgiveness. <laughs> Shout out to David Miller if you're listening. I give her my phone number. I say, well, you know where to find me, <laughs> you know. Uh, she calls me the next day. She says, well, I talked to my husband. And the truth is, we've got other dents in the car, which I had noticed, by the way. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have to replace a whole bumper. There's lots of dents here. She must have had lots of pastors driving her car. That's all I could think. <laughs> She says, there's lots of dents in the car, and the truth is, it's a car. It's a car. You don't need to pay for it. If we get the dent fixed someday, we will, but it won't be because of you. It'll be everything else. It's just a car. Here's a woman who viewed her car as a resource to be managed, and it was a banging car. That minivan was sweet. I mean, sweet. But it was a resource to be managed. And what she said to me in that moment was, you are more important than that resource, right? Now, what if, yeah, amen, Praise the Lord. I said a little thank you prayer afterwards as well. (laughs) What if you and I, just for this week, just thought about, didn't do anything, just thought about all of our assets as resources to be managed rather than property to be owned? What if you looked at your bank account as a resource to be managed rather than a bank account to be owned? How could it change everything? For a week, I just want us to think about that. You don't have to do anything with it yet. Just think about it. Just think about it. How would it shape the way that we viewed God and viewed people? Because Jesus ends it this way. 
And I don't know if I skipped this or not. Jesus ends it by saying this. He steps out of the parable. And he says, this is how it will be to anyone who stores up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And in that phrase specifically, rich towards God means using my resources, if you look at the parable, using my resources to bless others. That's what rich towards God means. God says, you can't exactly give to me. I'm, I'm in heaven. God is, a, is, is spirit and in heaven. We're going to dig into that later on heading into Christmas. I'm super excited about the series. I just started getting ready for it. It's, I believe in God, but, and some of those questions, like, I believe in God, but what's with all the genocide, you know? Like, that seems odd. Or I believe in God, but am I a monkey's uncle? We're going to talk about creation and evolution. And yeah, I thought that was super funny too. So good. But we're going to talk about, I believe in God, but how can God be three and be one at the same time? We're going to talk about that coming up. But, but God was is told the spirit. So we can't be generous towards God except by being generous towards people. That's what Jesus is saying here. That our assets, our resources to be managed to serve and love people, to change our community, to change our church, to change our world. And in doing that, we actually love God. And in doing that, we actually find freedom because Jesus started this parable by saying, don't worry. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I see you. I know you. I count the hairs on your head. That's how much you mean to me. So you can do this scary thing, which is lay your financial resources in front of me, And by the way, that is a scary faith exercise. You can do the scary thing knowing that I love you and I haven't forgotten about you in the process. And how do we know that God cares about us? How do we know that God's not just trying to take something from us? Well, we know because God proved his love for us, not by taking from us, but by giving to us. Paul tells us in the Bible that while we were enemies of God, far from God, while we were saying all kind of mean things about God in our heart and with our lives, while we were enemies of God, God gave himself for us. In Jesus Christ, God left heaven and came to earth and gave his life for us. Now, we would say it's easy to give to someone who I love, but have you ever thought about being generous towards someone who hates you? who's slandering you, who's saying all kinds of crazy stuff with their life about you. God says that while we were still far from him, he gave himself for us to prove to us once and for all that he's for us. So that when we get into these big conversations about something like money, which holds such a big grip in so many of our lives, we could open our hands and say, that's right, God actually loves me. And he's watching out for my best interest. And what he's saying here about being a manager of my resources is actually for my good. And then we just live out the reality. But I want to say to you, if you're here today, and I know we we have people coming in all the time who don't yet have a relationship with God. This is all brand new. I'm telling you, your first step is not to actually practice generosity See, the generosity that flows from Jesus' followers flows to us first as God generously gives himself for us. And then it flows through us as we give ourselves to other people. But if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, your first step is to accept the self-giving love of God as God gave himself for you. To experience God's grace in your life, his favor, 
to experience God's forgiveness of those things that you've done that have hurt you and that have hurt other people that have separated you from God. Your first step is to invite God into your life so that he can begin healing you of the places where you've been hurt deeply by other people. And then as you guys build trust together, then follow him into generosity. But let's not put the cart before the horse. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pray for all of us because what I'm asking us to do this week could be the biggest faith igniter that we've experienced all year long. Because if we can actually trust God with our resources and explore the topic of generosity with God, then he says everything else kind of falls into place around that. Where our treasure goes, our hearts tend to follow. This is a huge risk and step for us this week to do. So I'm going to pray for us in that journey. Then I'm going to pray for you and give you a chance to respond to God if you've never actually entered into a relationship with him. So would you join me as we pray together? God, I I ask on behalf of our community, as we sit here in this moment, I ask that you would make it abundantly clear to every single one of us that we're known by you, that we're loved by you, that there's nowhere we could go or nothing we could do that would make us forgotten by you, and that you are looking out for our best interest, even as you look out for the best interest of every other person in the world. And God, we're going to take a big faith step this week. We're going to actually just think differently about our finances for a week. But in that thinking, it's going to bring up all sorts of questions about our security and our identity and how much uh, we really do trust that you will take care of us in the process. And so I would ask for my friends, as they talk with their housemates, as they talk with their significant other, as they talk with their spouse, as they talk with our kids, Lord, that you would give us the courage to actually ask that question about our assets. What would it look like to be a manager as opposed to an owner? Would you give us courage to actually engage with you on that topic? And as we continue to pray, if you're, if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start this journey with him, I'm going to invite you to let him know. God knows you're ready. He knows your heart. But there's something about speaking that out to God to say, God, I want to take this journey with you. And so you could whisper something like this. It's a prayer where you would say, God, I want to walk with you. You could just whisper something like this right where you're sitting. Just say, Lord Jesus, I do believe that you love me and that you actually gave your life for me. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life God, would you forgive me of my sin that has hurt me, hurt others, that has separated me from you? Would you forgive me? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.